you know, we're doing this series on identity that we're continuing today. Uh, Brother Samuel texted me something this week that I've got to share with you. The ser- series was supposed to be six weeks, um, but um, the reality is that it, this truth on Groundhog Day, if a pastor sees a shadow, there'll be six more weeks of this sermon series. So I just want you to know I saw my shadow, so uh, it's going to be 12 weeks now. <laughs> Not really. Uh, today is a Super Bowl, and speaking of identity, Cooper Cup is a is a believer, and I want to share a quote I read in an article by, from him recently, um, wide receiver for the Rams, just a cool guy. He said, this relationship with Jesus is the center of my life. Knowing where your identity is and knowing that as much as I want to be a football player and I strive to be that, I am so much more than that. No matter what the naysayers say, no matter what anyone tells me, I know that my identity is in Christ and nothing can take me off of that. Yeah, isn't that powerful? So that's really cool. So if you want somebody to cheer for, uh, I know, you know, we kind of all hate cheering for the Rams because of Jordan last week, but um, you can cheer for, uh, for Cooper Cup. So I'm going to skip this old man. Well, maybe not. Uh, this is the U.S. men's curling team, and Pat sent this photo this week and said that it looks like a bunch of men my age who were on vacation in China and then decided to compete in the Olympics just uh, <laughs> at the last minute. <laughs> it looks like a bunch of old... <laughs> Uh, guys with nothing to do. It's kind of cute. Um, all right, this whole identity thing. My goal in all of this has been, my goal is that we all would have an identity that is grounded and rooted in Jesus Christ. That's Colossians 2, 6 and 7, the language of Paul. That we would be living uh, from, from an achieved reality um, instead of a received identity. And by the way, something interesting, because I kind of copied that text from the, that from the first week, and I left the error in it that the that achieved, is it achieved this I before E except after C? Anyways, the misspelling. I got a text for service and I had my phone on. And so I, just as I was showing the slide, I heard a and I'm like, oops. I looked down and it was somebody in the church who was telling me that that was misspelled. They later told me, they said, my identity, I'm an English teacher. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. But we want to live not from an achieved identity, but from a received identity. We want to quit living in a big capital I, you know, uppercase I identity where I'm the center of my life, where I decide who I am, where I'm on the throne of my life. And we want to live for that lowercase I, that little I identity to where God is on the throne. He reigns supreme. Who he says who, what I am matters and it's little I. Somebody told me this week they didn't quite get the big I, little I. I hope you get that. I don't know That's if that makes sense. That I want not an identity based on who I am, but I want an identity based on whose I am. That's been the whole point of all of this. Um, That I am a new creation in Jesus. I'm a beloved child of God. That that's who I am. So I'm curious, how many here, I'll I'll be, you don't have to do this. Um, There was one brave soul first service, but how many here would say they struggle living in their identity in Christ? You know, yeah. I mean, I think probably all of us do. I know I do. Um, Even this week, I've had struggles living in my identity in Christ. And so this has been as much for me as anybody. And I've been quoting all along, Charles Swindoll, oh, this, this, to live into this I am whose I am. I think we struggle. And I've quoted Charles Swindoll. It says, know who you are, accept who you are, and be who you are. And I just love that challenge. And this week I really want to talk about be who you are. I want to get really practical on what does it look like to live into my identity in Jesus. Tom Newberry said, legitimate, lasting self-worth can only come from God's love from knowing and experiencing who you are as a new creation in Christ. See yourself as a child of God. You are God's special enterprise. Work to recognize that fact emotionally, not just intellectually. 
If you keep thinking of yourself the way you used to be, that is exactly what you will continued, continue to be. And so I just want us to live just consistently um, in the top half of this diagram. It's on the post, the card. I'm going to talk more about this in a minute. But where we're living up here rooted in who I, that I am, whose I am, that's my goal in my own life. That's my goal for you is that we would all live up here. Um, I do have to give credit to Ruthie Delk who kind of created this image. Lisa and I adapted it and changed a few things on it because that's what I do with everything. Um, but I really think the image is powerful, and we'll talk more about it. I hope that that can be helpful for you. So practically, how do, how do I get to where I'm living more consistently up here in I am whose I am instead of I am what I do or have or what people say or think about me? And I want to give you an illustration that relates to that. Um, you know, our identity, your overall identity, it's, it's like a deck of cards. Um, this morning, I have a, a deck of Rook cards, the greatest card game ever invented, in my opinion, if you know Rook. I find most people have never played it. Um, and I think our identity is a lot like this. In Rook, the cards go 1 to 14. The most uh, powerful card, um, the biggest, most important cards are the 1s. And then from that, 14 down to 2. So it's really weird that they take the, that, the 1, but the 1 is the most important card. And I really do think that this is like what our identity is like, that there's so many components to who I am. And in my life, I do have these ones, these things that are really most important to me that trump everything else, right? One of them is I'm a husband. That's one of my ones. I'm a father, three wonderful children, and a wonderful son. Uh, I am a grandfather now. That's a pretty big one. Uh, I'm a minister of the gospel. I think that's one of the ones in my life. But there's a lot of other things about me that are just part of who I am. So cards that are of lesser value but are still important, that's a 14, Broncos fan, that's pretty high. Uh, <laughs> Royals, I'm gonna put Royals, but they haven't done very well, so I'll make the Royals a 13. Royals fan, um, I'm a guy, I like to play racquetball, um, I'm a wannabe mountain climber, um, love Mountain Dew and pizza, I'm not sure if that's really part of it. I'm a Kansan uh, brother, I am an introvert, I'm a reader who loves to read in a coffee shop on a cold, rainy day, all alone with nobody bothering me. <laughs> okay. okay, that's just part of like kind of my identity deck. Um, but here's something that, that I find really interesting um, that I love about Rook. Because in Rook, you've got these ones that are like the most, that are the strongest cards. But you've got this one card that's the Rook, and the Rook trumps everything. It trumps everything. It even beats the ones. This is the most important card in the deck. And this rook card to me, this represents to me this idea of my functional identity. And I want to define that for you because this, I haven't talked about functional identity, but today this is a new concept I'm throwing out. Here's what I mean by functional, my functional identity. The place where I tend to really get my identity from, the place I really get my identity from in my, the in and outs, ins and outs of my daily life, the thing that's my go-to for my identity. Um, we know that we're designed for Jesus to be the rook in my life, to trump even my ones. We know that, right? But it doesn't always work that way, that really life is best when it's done through him. Um, but I think for many of us in practice, in our real lives, I think our identity functionally is somewhere else than other than Jesus. Jesus maybe is a one, but my real rook is what I do or what I have or what people say or think, right? I think we all know that, that a lot of times our functional identity is not in him. 
I mean, for example, for me, I know where my identity should be. It should be in Jesus. But every time I'm struggling with uh, gaining approval from people, what I'm showing is the real rook of my, dot, my, my identity is I am what people say or think about me. Okay? I think you get that. So for many of us, Jesus is one of the cards in our deck, our identity deck, but he's not the rook. He's not the most important. He's not the one that the trumps that wins every time. So I asked the first week, and I'm going to ask this again in a different way. I want to know what is your rook card? Where do you really tend functionally to center your identity? Is it I am what I do, what I have, or what I say? And even dig down a little deeper than that. I've got some extra things on there. Let's say even under I do. Maybe you would say, and in I do, it's my work. Or it might be my parenting. Or in I have, it might be my spouse or the grades that I get. So I just want you to think for a minute. What, what, is, what is the functional identity of your life? What is the rook? What tends to win out when you think of yourself? Last week, I brought up the concept of living as an orphan. orphan. And when I allow myself to live with anything functionally as the rook of my identity, I'm living as an orphan. I'm living kind of estranged from my father, not on his side, but on my side. As Lisa talked with me last week, she said something really profound, and I, when we made this video, I asked her to share something. So I want you to, I want you to hear the rest of what she said. And I think I do this. Great. I forgot. I'm in control. I have the power. So now some spiritual application. I remember as we got so close to going to get Sam, a friend and I were daydreaming about him. She said, can you imagine what it will be like when he's sitting right there on your lap? You finally have him and you feel the weight of him in your lap. So needless to say, in our journey, there was a lot of longing. There was much preparation and there was sacrifice. Last week, I was so deeply impacted by the message. Garen talked about how God desires for us to live as his beloved children, but we often live with an orphan spirit. I'm embarrassed to say how many things on that list were true of me. My mind was turning on that all day. In a time of prayer with my life group Sunday evening, I finally had a time to sit and get quiet before the Lord, and that was just really unsettled in my heart. I started to pray about that, and God brought some vivid imagery to mind. I thought about all that we went through in our adoption process to get Samuel. The waiting, the paperwork, so much paperwork, the sacrifice, the longing we felt for him to be in our presence, in our home, part of our family. I realized that as an adoptive parent, I have a tiny glimpse into the heart of the Father and how it might feel to him when instead of living into my inheritance, in many ways I choose to live as an orphan, trying to perform, to do things in my own strength, to carry guilt around when he gave his son so that I could have freedom from my sin. He delights in me. He sings over me. What if Samuel, after those two long years, had refused to sit at our table with us? Or if instead of accepting the name we chose for him in prayer, what if he insisted we call him the name the orphanage had assigned him? 
What if instead of the beautiful room we had prepared for him, where he was surrounded by tokens of love, so many people showered on us as we anticipated him? What if he wanted to sleep in the garage or outside on the deck? That sounds kind of silly, but it was powerful for me to think about and something I'll never forget. If I choose to live as a spiritual orphan, trying to perform for God, it's as if I'm saying no thank you to the lavish gift he has given me as his child. Isn't that powerful? I just wonder, sadly, I mean, how often do I live that way? That he paid everything for me to be his child, and then I'll, I'll like, ignore it and live as somebody with no inheritance, somebody with no belonging. Um, live kind of on the bottom half down here, living as if I don't have a good and loving father who delights in me, who cares for me, who watches over me, who provides for me everything that I actually need. You know, anytime I live that way, that's, that's exactly what I'm doing. So my goal, I think the goal for all of us, the goal is I just thought about this over time, is that all of us, for me, that I would stop living as an orphan and to learn to base my identity upon Jesus so that he consistently becomes the root heart of my life. That's my longing. In Romans 8, 15, Paul says, you have not received a spirit of fear leading to slavery again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. That's what I'm to base my identity on. So again, I really want to get practical, and I want to ask, what kind of things will help me to live out my identity in Jesus? What kind of things will help me to live more readily up here as his child? And it really, for me, it's two things, detection and disciplines. So I want to talk about detection, and I want to give you some disciplines. First, that detection one. I need to learn to detect when someone or something else is replacing Jesus as the rook of my life. When I'm living on the bottom half down here as an orphan instead of a child as the king. So I need to learn how to detect that. Tim Keller's been really helpful for me in this. Four clues that he's talked about of a misplaced identity. And I just want to kind of hit these quickly. Um, number one are super strong feelings of inadequacy. To me, that's the first clue or that he talks about. That when I'm struggling, we all struggle with insecurity or inadequacy, right? But when it becomes really strong and overwhelming and just this ongoing struggle that I'm having, that's a sure sign I'm living as an orphan. When I'm really not believing that, uh, that I'm loved, that I'm delighted in, that I have value, that I really am a new creation. Um, when you live with that sense of being insignificant, inadequate, that you can't do enough, you can't be enough, you'll never have what it takes. That if I find myself struggling with that a lot, that's a sure sign that I'm dealing with an orphan spirit. Another one is how do I respond to success and failure? To success and failure. And Keller has this quote that I love. So when I'm living as an orphan, here's what he says. Success inevitably goes to my head, and failure automatically goes to my heart. Success inevitably goes to my head. Failure goes to my heart. Um, you know, in the, the heart where you become super critical, self-condemnation, I think we've all experienced that kind of stuff. And the first one seems like pride when success goes to your head, but I want to tell you the other one is pride also because both of them are self-focused and come from a prideful heart. A third clue um, is comparison and competition. Whenever I live with that comparing spirit, whenever I'm looking at people around me and wishing I could do what they did or have their gifts or whatever, anytime I'm doing that, I'm living as an orphan. Or anytime I'm living ex with an extremely inordinately competitive spirit. Okay, there's nothing wrong with competition. Don't get me wrong. I'm a very competitive person. Uh, if Tim Wright were still around, we, 
He could tell you about how competitive we both were. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think we know in our heart when we kind of cross a line and it just all becomes about beating people, right? And really, a competitive spirit and comparison all come from that desire to, that I think I'm defined by what I do or by what I have or what people say or think about me. And then that final one is those problem emotions, those emotions of like guilt, fear, shame, anger, you know, very deep sadness, despondency, despair, um, especially when those emotions become very strong and very overwhelming and they're kind of ongoing. They may be, an, a, they may be a clue as to where you put your identity. Let me just say one thing. Uh, don't take that carte blanche. If you were to, say, lose a family member, somebody very close to you, you will experience very deep grief, Okay. I'm not saying go running into that about the identity, but I think a lot of times in our life, we, we experience something. Have you had this? Somebody says something, you have an experience, whatever, you get in a situation, you have a very strong emotional reaction, anger comes up, or deep sadness suddenly, or guilt, or shame, any of those. I just really want to encourage you that anytime that happens, to really drill down into that. It even happened with me this week. I was in a setting that was such an innocent setting. Something was happening, and I left there, and my spirit just felt kind of messed up. And I stopped on the road, and I'm like, Lord, I'm having this emotion. Like, what in the world is going on? And since we're doing the identity, and that's on my mind, I'm like, my identity is tied to something. And so I sat and prayed, and I felt like God was showing me where I was putting my identity at that time, where my functional, what really was my rook, and it was a chance for me to, to talk to him about that. So to me, detecting when I'm living down here is really important. But not only detection, but I also think disciplines are really important. And the disciplines help me with two things. They help me to, to, to live up here. Sometimes they help to get me back up here when I'm living as an orphan. The things I'm going to talk about will get me back. These disciplines will also help me to, when I am living up here, they'll help me to be more likely to stay up there for a longer period of time, which I think all of us want. Turn to the book of Jude in the Bible. This, this verse to me relates to all this and is really powerful. If you are not used to having a Bible, that's okay. I didn't grow up with one. Uh, the last book of the Bible is Revelation, the one right in front of it is Jude, so it's the second, la second to the last book of the Bible. It's probably one page, so you might skip it by accident. If you find the beginning of Revelation, Jude is right before it. In the book of Jude, in um, verse 21, he says a really profound thing. It's really just even in the first phrase of that verse. He says this, keep yourselves in God's love. Keep yourselves in God's love. Now, for a long time, I misunderstood that. And I took that like, oh, I've got to be a really good guy all the time, be obedient all the time so God will love me. But we know from Scripture, his love is unconditional, has nothing to do with my performance, right? And that's not what Jude's talking about. And here's how I know. I hope I just closed mine accidentally. Turn to the very first, first verse of Jude. I'm going to show you something very profound. So we can know when he says, keep yourself in the love of God, what he's talking about. In verse 1, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who were loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Those who are called, who were loved, and who are kept. There's a really profound thing going on there. When he writes that, it's in the Greek tense, we call the perfect tense. And that's very profound because in the perfect tense verb in the Greek, it means something happened um, suddenly at a, at a point in time that was significant and the effects of that continue on into the future. Something happened and the effects continue on. So here's what he's told them at the very beginning of the book. I want you to know when you came to Jesus, you were called at that moment, you accepted that call and you remain called. 
And when you came to Jesus at that point, you entered as his child of God, a depth of his love in a way um, that you've never experienced before. You, were, you are loved profoundly at that moment, and that love is ongoing. And you are kept in him. You are brought into him. You have an inheritance. Nobody, you're never going to lose that, child, that being a child, and that being kept is ongoing. And so when he says then in verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love, we're already kept in his love. We're already loved. That's ongoing. Nothing's going to change that. What he's saying is this, is keep yourselves experientially in the reality of his love. His love hasn't changed, but you need to work to keep yourselves experientially here. Does that make sense? It's a really important thing that he's talking about. So what, as I've thought, not just this week, I've thought a lot about this. What to me are the key disciplines that help me to keep myself experientially in the love of God, to keep me in that, that upper part of this diagram? To me, the first one is, is abiding in him, abiding in him. In John 15, 5, 14, 5, oh, a lot of John 15, but in John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit, but without me, you can do nothing. So there's that call he offers for us to live in the abiding life. And I want you to know Jesus is our example on this. Um, Jesus is so awesome. Remember his baptism? The father spoke over him, that, that um, received identity. You are, you are the beloved son, one in whom I'm delighted. And his whole life, he clung to that identity. He held on to that. He did not um, ever vary off of that. And I think he knew that it took intentionality and spiritual disciplines. He was fully human like we are. And so Luke 5, 16 to me is so important where it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He knew that he needed to be in that abiding relationship with the Father to cling to that identity that was spoken over him. And that, was, that, day, that time with him was so important. And so just like Jesus, we need to live in that abiding relationship with him. We need to, to be consistent in observing spiritual practices and disciplines that help us to abide. And again, I don't do those practices to earn his love. That's not the point of Bible reading or prayer. I do those things so that experientially I can keep myself experientially in the love that's already there. Does that make sense? To me, that's a really important difference. They're not to earn his love. They're to, for me to experientially uh, keep myself in, in the love that's already there. Three disciplines that I think are really crucial to abiding are worship, prayer, and the word. Um, wasn't the worship powerful this morning? I mean, that to, to, to us gathering as a community and we're worshiping in song that you guys haven't chosen and we're singing about identity and being on Spotify and having your own personal worship is so important. Worship, is, worship helps take things from our head down to our heart. It's when I'm worshiping God that I see him as more beautiful and more attractive than the other things that might be the rook in my life, right? And he starts to become more and more the rook of my life in worship. In worship, I begin to trust that he is the only one who truly is all-satisfying and all-sufficient so that I'm not drawn to other things thinking they're all-satisfying and all-sufficient. So when I see him that way, I'm less likely to seek my sufficiency and satisfaction in other things. I think prayer is another primary practice for me. I'm currently working my way through the Psalms, and I think some of you who are doing the Old Testament are doing that, right? I love the Psalms, and I really was... was very profoundly affected this week as I've been working through them and thinking that David, how often he would take a circumstance in his life. He went through a lot of junk, right? A lot of stuff that tends to drive me to being an orphan. Like, oh, does God really care? And I think David wrestled with this. He's like, Lord, where are you? Are you listening to me? So I think David frequently found himself down here. But I, what I loved about his prayer life in the Psalms 
is he always made that turn in his prayers to where he'd intentionally direct his prayers and he would declare things about who God was of his love and his unfailing love and how David in prayer would intentionally in hard times move from being an orphan to being a child. I just love that. I think prayer is really important. And then I think the word is really important, right? Uh, The word of God is so important. That practice of abiding in it. I memorized in an old translation early in my Christian journey, Ephesians 5.26, where it talks about that Jesus cleanses his bride through the washing of the water of his word. That his word actually like wash, it's, it's like water that washes me. And I, it's so helpful in this whole identity because there's so many false narratives out there, right? Narratives telling me that God really doesn't love me, doesn't care. There's just things like that that are shouting that all the time. There's, negatives, there's narratives about me that I'm really not valuable, that I'm really not loved, I'm really not liked by him. And I need the washing of the word constantly washing over me to remind me of who he is and of who I am. And so I, I take his word seriously. And that's why that daily intake of his word is so important. I've been saying all along, don't listen to the loudest voices. Listen to the truest voice. And the word of God is where you're going to find the truest voice. I think one way to do this is through scripture memory. Um, Take some of the scripture. I've referenced a lot over the last few weeks. We may end up creating a list of them. But take some scripture related to identity and put them into your memory. You know, Jeremiah 31.3 where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Zephaniah 3.17, that I delight in you and I rejoice over you with singing. You know, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Put those into your memory. Let the word of God start residing there. When I was dating Pat in college, she, um, she actually was given a list of identity scripture, and she, like, memorized, I think, all of those scripture so she could make sure her identity was grounded in Christ. But through all three of these disciplines, worship, prayer, the word, the whole point is to be living in that abiding relationship with Jesus. And as I live in that abiding relationship with him, it keeps me focused on him. He's my true north. He's the one that, that I'm hearing the most. And it so profoundly affects me. And we live into Galatians, to me, Colossians 3, 1 to 2, where Paul says, if you then are raised with Christ, seek things which are above where Christ is seated. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. So to me, these abiding things are ways for me to set my mind on what's important. Second discipline um, is going to him for help. In Psalm 103.14, it says that he knows we are but dust. He knows I struggle with this. And I love Hebrews 4.15-16, to 16, where it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. And I talked about this in that first week. Jesus has already done the thing he's asking us to do, to center his identity in the Father. Because remember, after he got that identity, the very next thing was his, after his baptism was the temptation. And how he was tempted to center his identity into achieved identity and what he did or what he had or what people would say about him. And he, he was victorious over that. And he lived his whole life victorious over those temptations. But he understood it and he's experienced it. And so to me, I go to him regularly, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, I'm struggling right now. I'm living as an orphan. You're the only one who did the thing that I could never do, which was live in that relationship with the Father, and I just need your help. So would you come help me? So go to him for help. To me, that's a second discipline. 
A third discipline is this discipline of reminding myself daily. Reminding myself daily. Um, Paul David Tripp, I mean, here's why this is so essential. Paul David Tripp says that each and every one of us are what he calls identity amnesiacs. That we all struggle with identity amnesia. We constantly forget who we are. And so to me, I need to intentionally find my identity in Jesus through daily reminders, constant reminders of who I am. Because if I don't lay claim to my identity throughout the day, it's going to get stolen from me all the time. So I have really found helpful James Bryan Smith's four affirmations, and I think I had these two weeks ago. I'd like you to read these with me, if you would. And let's read them like with some, some gusto, because these truths are so important. Are you ready? I am a child of the living God one in whom he delights. I am the temple of God, one in whom the spirit dwells. I'm a citizen of God's unshakable kingdom, and I am destined for eternal glory, Jesus. These are on this postcard. I mean, there's a way to help you. They're on the bottom, kind of in that blue or turquoise box, whatever that color is. Somebody can text me if, like, they do graphic design or something, what the right color is. But we, we wanted you to have these to, because I'm telling you, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing a lot of time my mind is my to-do list that day. And if I'm not careful, that will immediately get me into an identity of I am what I do from the very beginning. And so these things are really important to me in the morning to say. And I will go over these four things and say them. What I'm trying to do is that daily reminder of who I am in Christ. Tish. Harrison Warren wrote, we choose to wake each morning marked from our first waking moment by an identity that is given to us by grace, an identity that is deeper and more real than any other identity we will don that day. So daily reminders to me are important. Fourth, finding accountability. Finding accountability. Having a spiritual accountability partner. If you don't have somebody that you share your life with in your heart or several of those um, I encourage you to, to find that. Somebody that you can just honestly go up to and say, you know, man, the truth is, is right now I'm living as an orphan and I'm needing help. I need prayer. I need somebody to come alongside of me. Or somebody that's willing to come to you and say, you know, how are you doing? Are you living as an orphan these days? Are you living as a child? I think that spiritual accountability is so important. Somebody that can take this diagram, give me this card and go over this with me. I've got some of those people in my life. In fact, two, years, two and a half years ago, there were some circumstances going on that really had me living down here, and I didn't realize, I wasn't thinking about that. And then one day, I think God brought this, the way it worked, he brought it to my mind, that you're living as an orphan, not my child. And as soon as I had that thought, one of my accountability partners pulled up, I was outside of the church building, pulled up, and he said, how's it going? And I said, I gotta be honest, I'm living as an orphan. And I need your help. I need your prayer. So if you don't have that, I, I encourage you to get it. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. I think we so badly need an accountability partner in the journey. And then finally, the fifth discipline is regularly repent and believe. Final discipline for me to experientially keep myself in the love God already has for me is this, to regularly repent and believe. You know, in the Bible, the, gospel, the response to the gospel is to repent and believe. And for a long time, I thought that that was only for lost people. Only they had to repent and believe. But over the last, I don't know, several, little longer than several years, I really come to realize that repent and believe is for the whole Christian life. 
It's the pattern God wants for my whole life, is to live repenting and believing. Um, that's why Paul in Colossians 2.16 says, just as you received Christ, continue to live in him. Repenting and believing isn't just coming to him, it's living in him. And that's why repent and believe are on this card. You'll see the repent on the bottom, the believe on the top. Those were there intentionally. So again, I'm regularly trying to detect that first thing I talked about. Am I living in, in this kind of orphan spirit? in what I have or what I do or what people say or think about me. And as soon as I identify that, immediately I repent of that. Lord, I'm living as an orphan. I'm not living as your child. That must pain you deeply, kind of like Lisa talked. I confess that to you. And I choose right now to believe the good news of who you say I am and of your love for me. And I'm choosing to step into that. And from this moment on, I want to live into gospel reality. I've used this image before from Crew, Campus Crusade. I really love this image where they talk about that in the Christian life, I should live my life with fact driving my life and then faith following. Faith is I believe the facts of what the scripture says and I live into it, I obey it, and then my feelings follow later. They use this illustration because when a lot of people come to Jesus, it's one of the first things they teach a new believer. A lot of people, 80%, 90% of us, live with feelings driving our train. What I feel is what I do. What I feel is what I think about myself. And they're always challenging people. Know the truth of what Scripture says about you, who you are. Believe that. Live that out. And the feelings of that thing will come later. And I want to tell you, there are a lot of mornings I wake up and I do not feel like a new creation. Okay? I don't. But the truth is that I am, and I need to lay claim to that, and I need to believe it, and I need to enter my day that way. That's why Dane Orland said, the Christian life is simply the process of bringing my sense of self, my identity, out of gospel deficit into alignment with the more fundamental truth of who I am. Or in the words of 1 John 4, 16, I love this scripture, where he says, we know the love God has for us, and we trust that love. I may not feel it, but I know it, and I'm going to trust it. Somebody put on Facebook, somebody, a believer, somebody in this body this week, a story that was really cool. Um, two Saturdays ago, they were at a Taekwondo meet, and their son, who was nine years old, um, you know, didn't advance all the way to the finals or something, and was devastated by losing, and was just inconsolable. And the mother talked about, she tried everything. You know, you're okay, it's good, you know. You, we'll get another shot. She just tried everything a good mother would, and he was inconsolable. She continued in the story and said that the, the next day was last week's sermon on I'm the beloved child in whom he delights. And she said after the service, this is a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old who said, you know what? I was living as an orphan at the tournament. I'm not what I do. I'm not the result of that. I'm God's child, and he loves me, and he said, I just need to accept that and believe that. I mean, like, he was doing this whole repent and believe as a nine-year-old. If a nine-year-old can do that, do you think we could? Or I don't know, maybe it's easier for nine-year-olds. I'm not sure. But I was so impressed that he could even sit and listen and process all of that. Uh, that's the goal. By, that, that, by the way, is a sign of, of good preaching I've learned, is if a, if a child can leave and they know what you were saying. If they can't, I'm in trouble. Uh, so... Let us stop living as orphans. Let us, stop, let us start um, learning to live consistently with Jesus as the rook, living experientially, keeping ourselves experientially in the love that God has for us. That's my, that's my challenge in all of these, in all of these disciplines. Um, we created this card to be a help because I need help. 
I need tools all the time. Keep this in your Bible. If you have a friend that needs one, take it. Um, reflect on this. Use the four, the four state affirmations. Just reflect on some of the other truth. You know, let this be something that helps ground you in your identity in Christ. Um, so I hope you'll be able to use that, um, especially when you find yourself in an identity crisis like that. So, you know, our goal all along has been, um, for all of us, I think to have our foundational identity rooted and grounded in Jesus. That's been my goal all along. Um, but none of us is perfect at it, right? Do you not feel like what I do in my soul? This feels like a battle, a consistent battle. Do you feel that way? I feel that way all the time that it's a battle. So don't get down on yourself when you find yourself down here struggling, okay? Don't get down on yourself because we, as long as we're living in this fallen world and I've got sin still in me, that there, I'm just going to be going back and forth between the two. So don't be so hard on yourself. Because remember, we're not living in Ikea spirituality where we're all the perfect showcase of how it should be. We're a fixer-upper, right? God's at work on me, and fixer-uppers are a mess, and I'm a mess. And so it's okay that I struggle with this, and it's okay to admit that to each other. So 12, let's live into the reality of who we are in Jesus. Let's quit living from our identity, and I mean for an identity, and let's start living from it. Um, start living out our new life in Jesus. You know, I love Lord of the Rings, so I've got to get Lord of the Rings in every series somehow. There's a powerful illustration of Lord of the Rings. Aragorn is one of the key characters, and in most of the story, he's a ranger. And I'm not going to tell you what a ranger is. You can kind of guess. I mean, there he is smoking a pipe in a bar in the first movie. He's a ranger, but the reality is, you find out as the movies go along, that actually he is the true king, that he's the true king. And at a key point in the third movie and in the books, Elrond comes to him and gives him this challenge. Put aside the ranger and become who you were born to be. Isn't that powerful? Tolkien was a believer. He, he, was, he was getting the deep truths and all this stuff. And I would just take what he said and I would say, become who you were born in Christ to be. Put aside the orphan identity. Set that aside and live into who you were born to be. I want to finish with a story, if you don't mind. It actually comes from this part of Kansas. A Native American tribe would tell this story um, of a young brave who found an eagle's nest egg that had fallen out of a nest. He couldn't put it back, so he put it in the nest of a prairie chicken. And the prairie chicken sat on it and hatched it. And that eagle, um, he lived with the prairie chickens, and he lived like a prairie chicken. So anytime the prairie chickens would be out just pecking seed in the ground, he'd be getting seed to eat. Even though he was hungry for meat and didn't know why, you know, he was pecking for seed. And whenever the, the prairie chickens would take off and fly for 10 feet, just thrashing their wings, barely making it, he would take off and fly 10 feet, thrashing his wings and barely making it. And one day, he was, as he was living, the story goes, he looked up and he saw this magnificent bird up in the sky soaring. And he was like, oh, to live like that. And he asked one of the prairie chickens, what is that? And the prairie chicken said, that is the chiefest of all birds. That's the eagle. But don't think too much about that because you're a prairie chicken. And if you think about the eagles too much, you'll get depressed. So just be a prairie chicken. And that prairie chicken lived his whole life according to the tale and never realized that he was an eagle. And so 12th, my challenge is, let's stop living as prairie chickens. Let's be eagles, the people that we were created in Jesus to be. Let us, in the words of Romans 6, 4, the, live in the reality of Romans 6, 4, where Paul says, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, 
so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too may we walk in newness of life. Let us walk in our newness of life. And in Paul's challenge in Philippians 3.16, let us live up to what we've already attained. Let us live up to what we've already attained. Would you stand? I want to close this in prayer. Father, this is such a battle. I thank you that you know that I'm dust. You know the struggle. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you, you have been through the temptation. You understand this. You're there for, for help. I just pray, Lord, that through all of this, as I've even been talking to myself every week in here and through the week, Lord, that you would help me, that you would help us. I trust that we better know who we are. Help us to accept who we are in you. Lord, may we from this day forward, just a little, if we could a little bit better live into who we are, live into the identity that we would become who we were born in you to be, that we would live as your children, that we would live as new creations, people who are in you. Um, help us with the struggle. Lord, help us to help each other. But our longing is, is we want to reflect you and image you to this world, and we best do that when you become the rook of our life, when you're our functional identity. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'll tell you, there's a lot of people out there that the rook of their identity is something that's failing them. And it's failing their life and they don't know what to do. So let us live as people putting Jesus as the rook of our identity so they can see a difference in us and be drawn and maybe ask the question someday like, what is it that you're living for because it seems so much better than what I'm living for? So let us be that kind of people. So 12th, you are sent.